Kind of makes you nervous that I have two Bibles, doesn't it? <laughs> Thank you, uh, Jim, for uh, sharing this morning. And um, I, if you're in recovery, I just, I just want you to know how thankful that we are that you're um, here. In fact, I, I just, I just want to recognize you. If, you. if you're in recovery, would you mind standing to your feet so we can... Um, And see, that was actually a trick question, because I said, if you're in recovery, would you stand to your feet? How come you didn't? Uh, You probably uh, noticed, I mean, how could you miss it, but the Christmas season has already started. Used to be retailers shamelessly started promoting the most commercial holiday of the year right after Thanksgiving, that got bumped back to the end of October. This thing appeared a few weeks ago. We appear to be headed for Labor Day, (laughs) which means, ladies, it's time to start preparing lists. And men, it's time to start thinking about shopping. See, there's your personal list of what you hope someone will buy you, especially if you inconspicuously leave the list lying around. There are uh, then there's the list that you plan to buy for others. So there's good, here's the question, what's on the list? Well, it depends. Those um, whom, uh, to whom we're the closest, dare I say those we love the most, get the most gifts or, or the most thoughtful gifts or the most expensive gifts. I mean, come on, let's be honest. You spend a little more time and money on a family member than some guy whose name you drew at the office. Of course, we all understand that, that Christmas comes around um, once a year because those gifts bought last year are quickly forgotten. I mean, if it was clothing, you've probably worn it out, or worse, um, you've outgrown it. If it was a game, it grew old by February. If it was electronics, it was old before you opened it. I mean, in fact, let's let's just play a little game. When you can remember the answer to this question, raise your hand. What did you get for Christmas last year? Oh, yeah, see? Some of you are raising your hands. And besides, you don't have to do that. I don't want to get husbands in trouble. Since Christmas is right around the corner, I thought I'd help you with your Christmas gift uh, gift list. It's been a while since I've done this. But I did some research, found out that Neiman Marcus um, just unveiled this month, October, because, you know, we're getting toward Labor Day, they uh, unveiled their fantasy Christmas gift list for 2011, which means these are now available. You can call them uh, or uh, get it on the Internet. Here's a list of some unforgettable gifts. Neiman Marcus says if conventional landscaping doesn't do the trick for you, maybe what you need is a dancing Fountain with robotic features from WET, W-E-T, a scaled-down version of this largest fountain in the world uh, installed at a hotel in Dubai can be in your, installed in your own backyard, but it'll cost you about a million bucks. Um, how about a 2012 Ferrari FF that goes from 0 to 3.7 seconds with its V12 651-horsepower engine? Only 12, uh, excuse me, only 10 of these babies exist, 
So you better hurry to the website. Top speed of over 200 miles per hour. Price $395,000. While the price includes a spe- that special custom built luggage set, the dog is sold separately. <laughs> if that does not strike your fancy, how about the Neiman Marcus Edition Hacker Craft Speedboat? This hand built 27 footer. Um, with rare mahogany wooden hull and 425 horsepower engine will be customized with whatever name you choose in 23 karat gold leaf lettering price only a quarter of a million dollars. Or how about the Dream Folly, rightly named, I think, a backyard tent which stands 12 feet high and is a spacious 18 feet in diameter. Inside the tent is furnished with artesian pillows and hand-painted wall coverings, but it'll cost you $75,000. Last, my personal favorite, this Tom Burr-designed ping-pong table made of black rubber, which makes the balls bounce higher. That's what it says, but like the Ferrari, you better hurry because only 10 will be made at a cost of $45,000 each. I mean, come on, really. Think back over your lifetime. What were the most meaningful gifts that you ever received? I mean, maybe you can't remember last year, but you can remember the meaningful ones. Maybe you still have them. Maybe you talk about that special Christmas or that special gift. You see, that's what this is. That is, for me, that special um, gift. The caption on the inside reads, um, to my husband on our wedding day, I love you, Tana, 6-6-1980. Of course, it's a Schofield reference Bible, so I don't use it anymore. But (laughs) you you could not pay me to part with that. And I want to suggest to you this morning that in that book contains a list of gifts of greater value than Neiman Marcus could ever have in its Christmas catalog. You see, we began last week talking about God's special gifts to us. These special gifts, think about it, are ones we still have, ones um, which will never grow old, ones we still should talk about, and ones from which we'll never part. We've just begun a study um, of the book of Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul to the saints at Ephesus. It's one of his four so-called prison epistles, so named because he wrote it while he was under house arrest in Rome. After identifying himself as the author and its recipients, after his traditional Christianized greeting, grace to you and peace, he launched in, remember, to a lengthy eulogy. You remember that word eulogy comes from the first word of this long 202-word sentence, which extends from verse 3 all the way to verse 14. Remember that the word eulogy um, means literally good words, which means a eulogy is not just for funerals. I had to remind my kids of that this week. On on Monday, we were out for lunch, and Olivia and Andy were, well, let's just say they were not being nice to each other. And so I said, come on, guys, let's use eulogies, good words with each other. And Andy immediately said, cool, does that mean she's dead? (laughs) No. No. Paul launches into this eulogy, this long 
praise, good words in verse 3, which serves as the introduction to the rest of the eulogy, blessed, good words, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He then moves on to give us a gift list that God has given us which merit this great praise. Look at the sentence with me. It's a long one. We read it last week. We're going to read it again this week. Guess what? We're going to do it next week. Ephesians 1, verses 3 and following say this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Then he proceeds with the list. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention, better, good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us, in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His glory, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, better good pleasure, which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, which works all things after the counsel of His will. Are you confused? To the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after Um, listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who who is given, it's a gift, as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. That is a list. It's better than any Christmas list, although it does tell us why Jesus came that first Christmas. And in fact, it It's better than an Easter list, better than Easter eggs and Easter dresses. It's it's a list that we've seen goes from eternity past to eternity future. Last week, we divided this list into three manageable chunks. Uh, The past work of the Father, verses 3 to 6, we looked at that last week. The present and ongoing work of the Son, that's what we're going to look at today, and then the present and future work of the Spirit. Please notice the Trinitarian approach that Paul takes it. Hey, I want you to get this. This gift list, it's for you. The entire Trinity is involved. Father, Son, and Spirit. In the past work of the Father, we saw that He chose us in Him or in Christ before the foundation of the world. Having chosen us, He then predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters, to wonderful gifts which caused Paul to break out into praise, to the praise of the glory of His grace, that grace that God freely bestowed on us in His beloved Son, Jesus. And then Paul, having mentioned the beloved, or Jesus, he transitions to the, um, to the present and ongoing work of the Son, where we see this list of, of gifts today. We're going to see redemption through His blood. Now listen to me. You need to pay attention because this, these are lots of big Christian words, but they mean something. Redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, knowledge of a mystery, 
Uh, we've, we've been made an inheritance. And listen, we're going we're gonna to end up in the same place again. Praise be to God and His glory. Lot to cover. Lots, again, of Christian words, phrases. Let me try and break it down into understandable concepts. It's going to blow us away, starting with redemption through His blood, first part of verse 7. God is to be blessed. Good words are to be said about Him because in His beloved Son, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. Talk about a gift that we need to keep on talking about, redemption through His blood. The word redemption speaks of paying a price to buy something back, of redeeming it. The word was usually uh, used of buying a person out of the slave market. You're going to go buy a slave, you you would redeem them. It's one of Paul's favorite concepts. It's a gift that he spoke of repeatedly. For example, we saw it in Romans 3, that passage that Glenn read just a moment ago. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You remember that, that, that Paul um, just spent the last two chapters of Romans talking about how everyone, no matter how good, no matter how religious, is a sinner. In fact, at the core, there is no one who is good. In fact, there's not even anyone who seeks God, which makes it necessary that He seek us. Um, no one is found righteous in the sight of God by keeping some moral code. In, 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 in fact, um, f- a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I meet with a, my brothers at Freedom Farm on Wednesday nights, and, and, and Robbie stood up and asked the question, how many of you have ever been apprehended by the law? If I asked you that question, how many of you have ever been apprehended by the law, most of you would sit there like you did a minute ago and ask if you've been in recovery. The truth is every one of us have been apprehended by the law. The law of Moses has found us guilty. We're all sinners. Bad news. But then Paul transitions to some good news. While we're all sinners, we've been justified at, notice, as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Again, lots of words piled up on each other. We've been justified. We've been made righteous as a gift by His grace through redemption. Here's what Paul means. We were slaves. We were in the slave market of sin. Important point. There was nothing we could do about our condition. Born slaves. We were born in sin. Nothing that we could do to buy our own freedom. Nothing we could do to set ourselves free from sin. So God did it by sending His Son to pay the price to buy us out of the slave market. That is redemption. That's a gift. Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 1, for He rescued us um, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. This, we see here the idea of being bought out of a bad place, the domain of darkness, and transferred into a new kingdom, the kingdom of His Son. That's redemption, to be purchased. Now notice, please notice the price paid to buy us out of the slave market of sin. It is through 
his blood. Neiman Marcus gift list, a million bucks, nothing. Through his blood shed on his cross. Old Testament, you see, makes clear there could be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. That is without death. See, that's, that's what we deserved. We deserve death. The wages of our sin is death. But Jesus shed his own blood as a payment for our sin to buy us. First Corinthians 6 says we've been bought with a price. It's a high price. Now, to whom was the price paid? Lots of discussion about that um, through, through the years. In fact, lots of uh, romanticized songs and poems suggest that, G, uh, that Satan uh, was paid since we were his captives. Well, I want to suggest that, that, that God owes Satan nothing and that there's, and there's nothing in the Scripture that indicates the devil received anything. Others suggest that God Himself was paid. We were in debt because of our sin, and God's own Son paid the price to His Father. I think that's more likely right, but again, the Scripture does not really say to whom the price was paid. The fact is, there was a price, there was a penalty to be exacted, it was a penalty and price that we could never, ever afford in a million lifetimes, and Jesus paid it. First Peter chapter 1 says it this way, knowing that you were redeemed, or, or excuse me, not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold um, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spot, spotless, the, the blood of Christ. High Price. This is cause for great celebration, this eulogy, good words to God. This, this is a gift that should never grow old. It's a gift we should always treasure. In fact, it's one we should always talk about. In, fa- in fact, listen to the words of, of John in the book of Revelation, chapter 5. Let me set the stage for you. John has, this, has been transported to heaven, and he sees God seated on the throne. And as he looks closely, he sees in God's hands a book that's sealed with seven seals. And, and he somehow knows that in order for this thing to continue, in order for the pro- process of redemption to unfold, that book needed to be taken and opened. And he, it says that a search was made throughout heaven, and no one was found worthy to take the book and to open the seals. And it says, John, I wept much until one came and said, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to take the book and to loose the seals thereof. I memorized it in, the, I memorized it in this. Um, to loose the, the seals thereof. And then it goes on, and they sang a new song, saying, this is heaven. This is what's going on in heaven. And when you talk about redemption through His blood, 
We're talking about this great gift. This is what's going on in heaven. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. I mean, even angels get into singing this song around the throne and living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. How dare we take this gift for granted? This is a gift that should never grow old. It leads to the second gift on the list, the forgiveness of sin or of trespasses. The word trespasses is a very specific word. It speaks of deliberate, not accidental, uh, but deliberate, a deliberate false step. This was not an inadvertent mistake. That's what we like to call our sins. Oh, I made a mistake. No, you didn't. You sinned. This is a willful, conscious, rebellious act of sin. We were slaves to sin but by nature, born dead in sin, but we were also sinners by choice, willful, treacherous, traitorous rebellious subjects of God. And there was nothing we could do about our condition. Jesus paid the price to buy us back, and that, in that payment we received the forgiveness of sins. You have to remember there was this massive debt that we could never pay. In chapter 2, Paul will tell us that we were dead in trespasses and sin, Again, nothing we could do about our condition. God's wrath and His consequent judgment was rightly poised against us. But when Jesus redeemed us, He paid the price such that we've been rescued from God's righteous judgment. Our sin has been forgiven. Can I remind you that God buried our sins in the deepest sea? He removed them as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. It's one of those gifts that we should always treasure, always talk about, should never grow old, and will never be taken from us. They will never be, this, to be forgiven means that our sins will never be held to our account. This forgiveness comes according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. He just pouring words out. He's trying to get us to get it, to understand this great wealth, the, the lavishness of this gift. The words speak of great extravagance. Those Neiman Marcus gifts pale in comparison to the riches of extravagant grace that God has lavished on us. Lavish speaks of of overwhelming abundance. This is a bunch, guys. Try and get your try and get your brains about around it. One author said, "Words are hardly adequate to describe the inexhaustible nature of God's giving." Not only that, thirdly, he made known to us a mystery, verses 8 to 10. I told you when we introduced the book that herein is, we found the the, um, theme of the book. It's the climax of the eulogy. In all wisdom and insight, piling up words, in all wisdom and insight, that means with great depth of understanding, God has made known to us a mystery. 
Paul used the word mystery more than any other New Testament author. Here's what it refers to. It means something was previously hidden, previously unknown, and now listen, this is really important, and unknowable. No matter how smart you are, you never would have figured this out. Mystery. Paul uses it to refer to a, a number of things. So you get to chapter 3. Uh, I'll just put the, uh, the verse up there. Go ahead and go to the next slide there. There we go. Um, uh, it, it talks about Jews and Gentiles uh, together being in one family. Uh, you, see, you read the passage, you see that that which was unknown is now known because God revealed it. He uses it to talk about the future resurrection of uh, the mystery, a future resurrection of believers in 1 Corinthians 15. He speaks of the mystery of Christ in Christ and His bride, the church, in Ephesians chapter 5. He speaks of um, Christ in us, the hope of glory, in, in Colossians chapter 1. The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to His saints. Here it is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The point is this. Whenever Paul uses that word mystery, it, it refers to the cross of Christ and its benefits, salvation and the church and Christ in us, Jews and Gentiles and people from every walk together in one family and future resurrection, all because of Christ. In this passage, Paul tells us God has made known to us the mystery of His will, and then goes on to describe it, actually, before He act tells us what it is. He's made known um, this mystery according to His good pleasure, better translation. Um, he made this mystery known to us according to His good pleasure that He purposed or willed in Christ. This plan that He is unfolding and, and made known brings him pleasure, and it finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Keeps going. Verse 10, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. What? I mean, what does that mean? Paul just keeps on piling on words. I can see that scribe kind of running around furiously trying to keep up. What Paul says is this plan fulfilled in Christ is for the purpose of God administrating or managing his household. Well, what is God's household? That's what the word means, administration. Managing his household. What is God's household? It's the universe. So, so God is managing his universe suitably with a very specific purpose in mind, a purpose, by the way, that is suitable for the fullness of the times. That's an interesting phrase. It, it, what it means is uh, 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 when all things are, are brought to completion, this purpose that he's getting ready to tell us, he, he's just kind of holding us in suspense in the future when all, everything is done, here's what it's going to be about, here's the mystery, and he finally gets there. I suggested a couple of weeks ago, it was a theme of the book of Ephesians, I want to suggest again that it is the goal of all history. This is where we're headed. This is the ultimate goal of life. This is the meaning of life. This is it. Write it down. The summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, and things on the earth. How many have ever had a history class? High school, college. Okay. Most hands went up, I think. How many of you liked it? 
Oh, I'm impressed. You see, the problem with most history classes in public schools or universities is, so what? What's the relevance? What's the purpose? I mean, where is all of this going? It becomes simply a, a study of random names and facts and dates and events with no apparent purpose or direction. In fact, as we look at history, things appear to be getting worse. We're just getting better at killing each other. And we're killing our global warming, whatever, war, overpopulation. Everything leads to despair. But, but Paul here says, listen, we're going somewhere. All history has, has an end point, a place to which we're going. Every, everything is going that way. Here it is, the summing up of all things in Christ. In Colossians, he'll say, everything is created in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Here he says, and it's going to be summed up in Christ. He tells us the culmination of history, the meaning of life, the meaning of eternity, why God has done everything that He's done to include the stuff in this list, is so that everything in heaven, that's the cosmic spiritual realities, and everything on earth, everything physical, will be summed up in the fullness of Christ. God is about the business of restoring harmony in the universe in Jesus, where the whole of creation is centered on and reunited in Christ. One author says it this way, the mystery which God has graciously made known to us, here's what it's all about, is the summing up and bringing together of the fragmented and alienated elements of the universe in Christ as the focal point. So, so what does Paul mean? He says, summing up all things in Christ, and then he kind of breaks it down for us. Things in the heavens and things in the earth. Why does he break it down? Because those two spheres are going to become important in the rest of the book. The things in the heavens refer to powers and authorities which are currently in rebellion against God. And listen, days coming will they, when they will be submitted to the supremacy of Christ. Now, and not only that, things on earth. We live in a fragmented, alienated world, seen most clearly in the fragmentation between Jews and Gentiles. But listen, it's all people groups. And God is about the business of bringing that all together in the church. Things in heaven and things on the earth, which leads quickly to the fourth spiritual blessing. So, redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, knowledge of the mystery, and now, God, fourth gift, God has given us in Christ, verse 11, He has made us His own inheritance. Verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance, okay translation, but without getting technical, I and other, I start to say other scholars, sound like I am one, I and the scholars think it would be better translated, in Him also we were made an inheritance. In, in Christ, we have become an inheritance to God. Yes, other places talk about since we're co-heirs with Christ, we have received an inheritance. That goes on the gift list. But here, what he means is we are the inheritance. The Old Testament talks about, um, all over, it talks about Israel being God's inheritance. Here, Paul expands it. Remember, the summing up of all things on the earth, in the church, Jews and Gentiles. He sums up, he says, and by the way, you get to be part of God's inheritance as well. Then he says, we have an inheritance that has been 
predestined. There's the sixth use of that word that we looked at last week. It means predetermined, um, boundaries set. Now notice, according to His purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. There are four words in that short phrase, predestined, purpose, counsel, and will, that he just piles on, all pointing to the fact that this is all about God and His doing and His purpose and His will. This is all about God. It's not about me. Once again, we see all of this, this salvation, this election, this predestination, this adoption as sons and daughters, this redemption through His blood, this forgiveness of sins this, uh, that He lavished on us in Christ, this summing up of all things in Christ, have all been predestined according to God's purposes within His own will. That keeps all of this about God. It keeps it all about His will, His choices, His purposes. It's not about me and my supposed free will and my supposed choices and purposes. I don't have any. It's about Him. Why? Why has God done everything that He has done? Last point, which is also our conclusion, to the end that we also, uh, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. A couple of thoughts and then I'm done. First, we who were the first to hope in Christ. What does it mean by the first? We'll talk about that next week. He seems to be making a, uh, drawing a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. We'll see that, remember, being brought um, together. But he's listing everything that God has done. Now notice, he tips his hat to what we do. Everything in this list is what God does. And now he says, and by the way, there's something that we do. You see, one of the problems, one of the challenges that people have about God's choosing, about predestination, about election, as I pointed out in, in Romans 9, I mean, one of the, is that this is something that, that, that God does. Right. Predestination and election is His job. It's not mine. Ours, Paul says, is to hope. And next week, he'll say, ours is to believe. So, so, so let God do what He does in this list, which is pretty much everything, and you do what you do. A couple of little words, hope and believe. Secondly, and finally, these gifts that we've looked at in this eulogy so far, let me list them again. His choosing of us to be holy and blameless, His predestining us to adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption that we have in Christ through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to His rich grace, the understanding of the mystery that all things in heaven and on earth will be summed up in Christ, the fact that we have been made His inheritance along with Jews. This is overwhelming. And this is all to the end that we come to the end of this gift list again today with breathless gratitude and praise to the glory of God. You see, he, he ended last week to the praise of the glory of His grace. He ends this week with pretty much the same word, to the praise of His glory. And we are reminded once again, this eulogy, these good words about God, all of these gifts given us are ultimately about 
God to the praise of His glory. It's all about Him. Let's stand for prayer.